Students in Nashville, Tennessee, the site of a recent horrifying mass school shooting, walked out, rallied and marched yesterday for stricter gun safety laws, for any gun safety laws. And of course, we are yet again of mass shootings that essentially no other country has. And then we immediately say some of us say we have to do something and Republicans block the idea of doing anything. And next thing you know, we've moved on and it's the next mass shooting. A couple of articles to look at. Chalkbeat Tennessee reports Nashville students rally for tougher gun laws as governor seeks armed guards for every school. Some say arm the teachers, maybe arm the students, right? I mean, how far are we going to go? More than a thousand Nashville area students walked out of school on Monday converging outside the Tennessee state capitol to demand stronger gun laws after last week's mass shooting at a small private school in the city. This started at 10:13 a.m. It was a week since Nashville police received that first call about the shooter at the Covenant School. Three children and three adult staff members were killed. We have a little more information about the shooting. The Tennessean reports Students demand gun control. Shooter fired 152 rounds in about a 14 minute incident. And of course, that has to have something to do with the guns employed. You're not going to do that with a handgun. And so those who say this has nothing to do with guns by literal definition can't possibly be correct. Now, I think it's important to contextualize all of these events. I mean, think of it a week ago, shooting in Nashville, six dead, three kids, three adults, rallies, marches, demands for gun safety, Republicans saying arm the teachers and put armed guards in school. But meanwhile, in this week, how many mass shootings have there been? How many mass shootings have there been just in the last week? Because yesterday, there was one in Baltimore and I'm looking at my list here. And of course, it's very hard to, to keep up because there are so many yesterday, a mass shooting in Baltimore and then also one in Mesa, Arizona. And there was a mass shooting yesterday in Hampton, Virginia, another one on Sunday in Petersburg, Virginia. The point is just in the intervening time between the Nashville shooting and today, and we follow all of the lives affected, everything that's taken place, all of the discourse and discourse may be a bit of a generous term in some of these cases. We follow all of it. There have been so many mass shootings since most of which you and I haven't heard of unless we went out looking for that information. And so this really is an epidemic. We continue to see one side that says don't do anything about guns. And then we see our side say, hey, listen, there are things we can try. And again, I outlined last week my 10 point plan for things that we could try. But there is an intransigence and a recalcitrance uh, to this discussion and among half of those who could be part of the solution here. And so it's a great thing what the students in Nashville did. And I continue to hope that we can do something. We can't give up, as I said last week, although it would be logical to think maybe maybe we should. What else can we do? We've tried everything to convince these people that it's worth at least trying some gun safety, but we really can't give up because otherwise people will continue to die. So good for the students in Nashville, Tennessee. 
And of course, we will follow whether any change does take place today. Maybe already has happened. Donald Trump will be arrested and charged with what we have now learned will be 34 felony counts. But an exclusive Yahoo News report by Michael Isakoff, the chief investigative correspondent doing really good work at Yahoo News, said there will be no handcuffs and there will be no mugshot in special treatment for the failed former president, Donald Trump. This is historic stuff. We are living through a remarkable event. Michael Isakoff writes as the article just disappeared. Donald Trump will be placed under arrest Tuesday and informed he has been charged with 34 felony counts for falsification of business records, according to a source briefed on the procedures. A New York City police arrest report summarizing the charges against Trump will be prepared and entered into the court system. Trump will be led into the courtroom and formally uh, formally arraigned on the charges, none of which are misdemeanors. Remember, the right wingers were saying these are all misdemeanors, all misdemeanors. Well, maybe there's one felony. These are reportedly all felonies, but Trump will be given special treatment. He will not be put in handcuffs. He will not be placed in a jail cell. What a dream that would be. And he will not be subjected to a mugshot. Even most white collar defendants are um, uh, subject to those three elements. The Manhattan District Attorney's Office has been consulting with Secret Service and New York City court officials said there's no reason to give him a mugshot. There's no reason to put him in handcuffs. The stated reason for handcuffing is defendants might be a flight risk or a threat to the DA or court personnel. Neither are judged to be relevant for former President Trump, given that he will be protected by Secret Service agents at all times, at all times. Um, This is going to be an incredible event, an incredible event. We will be live. We were live again. The timing of recording today is a little bit complicated for what is taking place. There will be still photos in the courtroom. There will not be video cameras in the courtroom. And this was another subject of much controversy. As I said, I can't think of any trial proceedings, any court proceedings, rather more relevant to the public interest than the arraignment of a former president for which there should be cameras, live video cameras. But there will not be sort of jokingly. Do you think that this proceeding will finally give us Trump's real height and weight, which he's been lying about for a long time, claiming to be six, three and two thirty nine? Probably not. And that's sort of a joke. That's not really important. Uh, We are going to now see over the next 24 hours, and I hope everybody is prepared for it. We are going to see the worst of the worst of MAGA Trumpism. I'm going to make a small adjustment here to my audio. Uh, We are going to see the absolute worst faith takes. This isn't justice. No, 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 no. It is justice to learn and realize that even a former president is not above the law. These are politically motivated charges. You haven't even seen the charges and you're not aware of the evidence. How could you possibly make that claim at this time? This is never done where you use testimony from a lawyer because it's protected. Well, what about the crime fraud exception, which we're going to talk about later? And by the way, we don't yet know how it worked out. But Marjorie Taylor Greene leading a protest in New York City, quite literally, as we are recording by tomorrow, I'm sure I will have more information for you about how that turns out. So 
We will follow all of it. We will report on it. I hope you will join me live. And in the meantime, Donald Trump's final 24 hours before his arrest, indicating that he is absolutely terrified. All right, let's not spend a lot of time on this. And much of what we're talking about today is developing live. And so I'm going to do the best I can to tell you what's happened over the last 24 hours. And then we have to move relatively quickly to the next steps in this indictment of Donald Trump. But Donald Trump last night exploding on Truth Social, making it clear he's terrified and making it clear he doesn't actually care about law and order, demanding the indictment of Alvin Bragg with what evidence? On what charges? Wait a second. I thought your whole problem was that this indictment of you isn't law and order. But now you're just calling for the on a whim indictment of the guy investigating you. Trump trothing to troth central quote. Wow. District Attorney Bragg just illegally leaked the various points and complete information on the pathetic indictment against me. I know the reporter and so unfortunately does he. This means he must be immediately indicted. What? Now, if he really wants to really clean up his reputation, he will do the honorable thing. And as district attorney, indict himself. There you go. He will go down in judicial history and his Trump hating wife will be, I am sure, very proud of him. Trump not stopping there with random demands for people to be indicted, continuing to talk about special prosecutor Jack Smith, trothing, quote, speaking of leaks, special prosecutor Jack Smith, what did his name used to be? Leaked massive amounts of information to the Washington compost. This is illegal. And I assume this radical left lunatic, much to the chagrin of his Trump hating wife and family, will be prosecuted. He is a totally biased capital T thug who should be let loose on the Biden documents hidden in Chinatown and the 1850 boxes secretly stored in Delaware, which Biden refuses to give up. Biden is guilty of obstruction. I am not. So think of it claiming that the problem here is that law and order isn't being followed in the investigation and indictment that he is now subject to. But on a whim, within just a couple of hours on troth social truth, central, I don't even know what it's called at this point. Trump demands the self indictment of Alvin Bragg, demands the indictment of special prosecutor Jack Smith and declares Joe Biden guilty of crimes absent any evidence nor any criminal proceedings of that sort. And this is just another reminder, my friends. They say they are for law and order, but they are not. They say they are for due process, but they are not. They are for whatever is convenient at the time as applied to them. And then whatever is convenient at the time as applied to their political opponents. And if those two things require a complete cognitive dissonance and a divorce from any stated principle of consistency, then they don't care. And you know what? They get away with it because as many, many of you have written to me and said, David, the right doesn't care about hypocrisy anymore. The right doesn't care about double standards. So it's not even worth pointing them out to them because they aren't phased. It's whatever is convenient for me and not for thee. And that is it. Well, we are going to learn very quickly indeed what the repercussions are uh, of the crimes with which Trump is accused. This is only the first indictment today. 
It is now being circulated that another indictment in Georgia could be coming at the end of April, which we will talk about tomorrow. These are truly unprecedented times, not because anybody in the uh, uh, investigative community has done anything wrong, but because we are now starting to see accountability for a unique and unprecedented one man crime spree that was the former president, Donald Trump. One of our sponsors today is Fume. Not everything in a bad habit is wrong. So instead of a drastic, uncomfortable change, why not just remove the bad part from your habit? Fume is an innovative, award winning device that does exactly that. Fume is not electronic. There's no vapor or harmful chemicals. Fume is just a delicious flavored air that makes replacing your bad habit easy. Your fume comes with an adjustable airflow dial and is designed with movable parts, which is great for fidgeting, which can be great for people breaking bad habits. Look at what people online are saying. They weren't sure what to expect, but ended up loving the taste and the feel. Stopping is something lots of people put off because it's difficult to do. But switching to fume is easy and enjoyable. There's no reason that you can't be the next fume success story. Head on over to tryfume.com and use the code Pacman to save 10%. When you get the journey pack, which comes with the device and three flavors, that's tryfum.com. Code Pacman saves you 10% on the journey pack. The info is in the podcast notes. One of our sponsors today is BetterHelp. Uh, viewers of the show, listeners know I'm a big advocate of therapy. Uh, I think it's important to make it more accessible, remove any stigma that might be associated. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. And therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest, figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. BetterHelp is therapy done entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, suited to your schedule. Fill out a brief questionnaire. You'll be matched with a licensed therapist. Switch therapists anytime at no additional charge. I'm a huge believer in talk therapy and BetterHelp is making it more accessible to more people. You can even find a therapist who specializes in certain areas, which maybe you can't find where you are geographically. There are lots of great benefits to doing therapy online. Get it off your chest. Visit BetterHelp. Go to BetterHelp.com slash Pacman show today to get 10% off your first month. That's better. H E L P dot com slash Pacman show. The link is in the podcast notes. As I've mentioned before, I supplement my diet with vitamins every day. I've tried different methods. None have been simpler or more cost effective than just a daily scoop of AG one from our sponsor, Athletic Greens. With the one scoop, I get the 75 high quality vitamins and minerals from whole food sources that I want. I'm covered for the day. I'm not messing around with different vitamin capsules. And then some have 200 and some have 180. So they run out at different times. And it's a mess. It's a mess. This is simple. The taste is good. You can put it in water, juice, or shakes. Each serving is under three bucks a day. Compare that to what all of the individual supplements would cost you. And it just makes sense. Simplify your life by starting the day with a scoop of 75 high quality nutrients 
When you go to athleticgreens.com slash Pacman, you'll get a free year supply of vitamin D. I've talked about vitamin D before and five free travel packs of AG one. That's athleticgreens.com slash Pacman. The link is in the podcast notes at this critical moment in American history and a critical moment for independent media. We continue to be primarily funded by our viewers through the membership program, which you can find at joinpacman.com. You'll get the daily award winning bonus show. Oh, the bonus show where you want to make money, but everybody else that makes money to fund themselves is bad. Regularly displaying that I have no soul. David Pacman does not have a soul. He doesn't have a soul. Thank you, Candace. If that makes you curious about what's happening on this bonus show, you can sign up at joinpacman.com and you can, of course, use the coupon code indicted, a very clear coupon code, one that requires no explanation. Fox News breathlessly covered Donald Trump flying from Florida to New York City for his arrest, almost like a soap opera, truly stunning, where it is almost beyond parody, making him out to be some kind of martyr. The coverage was led by Harris Faulkner, whose right wing leanings, at least as far as the character she plays on air. Remember, Fox News hosts and anchors really are characters at the end of the day. So she may be as liberal as they come in her private life. I don't know. But at least the right wing right wing character that Harris Faulkner plays has become particularly weaponized over recent months. Look at this. We're we're going to show you the entire uh, trajectory of this. Here is the coverage of Trump leaving Mar-a-Lago to head to the airport to get on his private plane. They call this news there. And now we've seen the second car. Let's watch this live now. The president, uh, number 45 for the United States. By the way, the president, the, the president is Joe Biden. States is on the move to Palm Beach International Airport. Wow. And as we grab these photos, I just want to remind everybody the types of decisions that have already been made ahead of him arriving. Please. One of them was uh, the Secret Service, first of all, is in charge of anything having to do with the president. New York Police Department here in the city will secure the streets. She'll have uh, other presence inside the courtroom tomorrow when he is arraigned at 2.15 p.m. Eastern. But for now, the Secret Service is in charge. And so they've already made the kind of decision of whether or not you would see him in handcuffs. They had said no. They wanted to make sure that wherever he's going to be had been swept. This is a former president. We have never seen anything like this. What we have seen, 1832 and then with Spiro Agnew uh, under Nixon, we have seen (laughs) former vice presidents and then a sitting vice president with Spiro Agnew uh, face an indictment and charges. But what we have not seen is a former commander in chief indicted in a state now that he used to live in, doesn't live there. And look at the people that are lined up against the freeway. Everybody knows the route. And this is a very, very short ride. I mean, yeah, it looks like mostly reporters filming, quite frankly, but really making it almost like a parade like atmosphere. And indeed, as they got further in on the trip, it feels as though this is like the Macy's Day, Thanksgiving Day Macy's parade or something. And Kaylee, I think it's what you're telling me. I, I, I look at all these people on the roadside and yes, some of them are law enforcement, but a lot of these are citizens. <laughs> yes, some are law enforcement and some are reporters with cameras, but there are some citizens there, dozens potentially of people. 
Americans who know this route, and he's going to slow down a bit for this. Yeah, yeah um, apparently he sent a box of hats out to some of those who are peacefully um, gathered over the weekend. He yes, they were very, very. I like how now they always mention pe everybody's being extraordinarily peaceful. And then really a more philosophical question, my friends. What is the destiny of Donald Trump as he boards his private plane? What is coming in his future? His plane is getting ready to take off now. They are on the move on the tarmac. And this is what we have been watching for. And we don't know what destiny looks like on the other <laughs> side of this trip when he gets here in New York City. Folks, this is a guy accused of crimes. That's what this is. And they are turning him into this martyr. Now, I know many of you have already said, David, that's why it's going to help him. The fact that they are turning him into the victim and into this martyr. And it is expected that Donald Trump tonight at his press conference at Mar-a-Lago is going to say they didn't really indict me. They indicted all of you. He's going to frame this as a collective punishment of MAGA, that they are punishing all of his supporters for supporting him and for the greatest political movement in history or whatever. This is what has led to many of you to, uh, writing to me saying this is going to help him, David. This is going to help him. Look at his fundraising numbers. I concede readily that this in this indictment, okay, let's for, let's wait before we say future indictments. This indictment helps Trump in the Republican primary. I agree with that. I don't think that if there is another indictment in Georgia and potentially a federal indictment, that it will be good for Trump at all because it really will hinder his ability to run his campaign. And secondly, I don't understand how this indictment gets Trump a single new vote in a general election. This indictment and potentially future indictments make Trump seem even more chaotic than we've already known him to be and the chaos that surrounds him. And so while this may help Trump secure the Republican nomination, if it doesn't end up interfering, if the indictments keep coming, I think this is bad for Trump in a general election. That's my view as of today. If the facts change, I will revise that view. Check this out. Steve Ducey on Fox News tried to add a little bit of common sense to the discussion this morning on Fox and Friends about why lawyer uh, lawyers in general are able to give testimony that is being used in the prosecution of Donald Trump. And really, they're talking about Michael Cohen, because one of the things that the right has started to harp on is how do you force lawyers to break attorney client privilege? How is it Michael Cohen is somehow being used to provide evidence against Trump when he was Trump's lawyer? There's a very simple explanation. It's called the crime fraud exception. Steve Ducey tries to explain it to his co-hosts. They don't want to hear it. When you try to insert fact on Fox and Friends, you aren't rewarded. So I think there's a lot to fight here. And in the back of my mind in watching all this is we could be doing this three more times. Yeah, we could be doing it with the January 6th. Let's hope we could be doing Georgia. it with the Georgia situation and we could do it with Mar-a-Lago, Mar. which is heating up like you wouldn't believe. They are now making Secret Service right. testify. They make his own attorney, uh, 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 Corcoran. He right. has to testify his own client. Well, what if, is it? If, Jack Smith is uh, is somehow rocket fuel to get uh, Trump in a way that I don't I can't believe people aren't challenging this and saying, even if I don't like 
Donald Trump. Right. What's going on here? Because of the crime, we've talked about this, the crime fraud um, exemption. If if you get legal advice during the execution of a crime, but it your attorney never happens. Crips, your, your, it happens more it, than you would believe. Talk to Mark Levin about that. Your attorney <laughs> uh, client privilege goes out the window. Regarding the Secret Service, how many times see, does it happen? Ludicrous. It's nuts. No, I, you have an attorney <laughs> and. So, two arguments. First, they're ignoring the crime fraud exception. Then Brian Kilmeade moves to, well, how often has it actually happened? We're going to address all of these points in a moment. Secret Service, I, and you flip them? I am just talking about what is the law. That is the law. It's Rarely so used. That it is, so well, it was used in this case. No the other kidding. thing is, if the, I feel like it's uh, open to mic night, I'm getting heckled over here. No, uh, I'm not heckling you. I'm just saying no, it's no, so no. ludicrous yeah. that no, you no, can no, tell I'm your just attorney saying, I, you're. Okay. So Ainsley Earhart is saying it's ludicrous. Brian Kilmeade is saying it's ridiculous. And Steve Ducey is absolutely correct about lawyers testifying and the crime fraud exception. It's not controversial and it actually has been used many times. So the crime fraud exception is a legal principle which allows certain confidential communications, like, for example, those between an attorney and their client to be disclosed in court if they were made to further the commission of a crime or a fraud. So if you use your attorney client relationship to plan or carry out a crime or fraud, then it's not protected by attorney client privilege. It's actually a really simple legal principle. So if you have a lawyer and you consult with your lawyer to commit a fraud, to cover up a crime or whatever, those conversations, those communications could be subject to the crime fraud exception. They aren't protected by attorney client privilege. That is what Trump and Michael Cohen were doing. Then when Steve Ducey explains it to Brian Kilmeade, Kilmeade moves on to, well, it's never used. Well, hold on a second. It's that's it. Now that is a different argument. How does Brian Kilmeade know that? Does he cover trials enough to know whether or not it's actually used? And the answer is, of course, he doesn't. And the truth is that the frequency of the crime fraud exceptions, it's difficult to determine because it does depend on the circumstances. And it's not like there is public uh, uh, journalism around every use of the crime fraud exception. Most court cases aren't reported on in the way that we would be able to say, here's the frequency of the use of the crime fraud exception. But there are some pretty prominent examples of it being used. The Enron scandal, if you haven't read uh, what's the name of the book, I think it's the smartest guys in the room or something like that. If you haven't read the book about the Enron scandal, I recommend it. In the early 2000s, Enron was engaging in all sorts of accounting fraud and it led to its bankruptcy. And during the investigation, that crime fraud exception was indeed used with regard to communications between Enron executives and their lawyers because it helped to establish those fraudulent activities. So that's a very prominent case in which it was used. The Bernie Madoff Ponzi scheme, when Bernie Madoff was arrested for running that huge Ponzi scheme and defrauded investors to the tune of billions, the crime fraud exception was also used to obtain privileged communications between Madoff and his lawyer, and it revealed Madoff lied to his investors and his lawyer about the existence of the fraudulent scheme. So it is the law and it is used, including in prominent cases. Kilmeade is wrong. Ainsley Earhart is breathlessly out of control. Steve Ducey is the guy that's correct. And on Fox and Friends, you aren't exactly rewarded for introducing sanity and fact. One other little funny element. Michael Cohen, whatever you want to say about him, I find him to be a pretty funny guy. 
and in my interactions with him, including privately, he's been on the show a couple times. I've been on his show. He's an all around good guy and he's genuinely very funny. He appeared yesterday on MSNBC with Ari Melber. He said when asked what's going to happen with Trump here, he said Trump <laughs> Trump's going to fill his diaper. And he says it completely seriously. This is nothing other than a comedic interlude. Listen to people. We build knowledge. I can't speak to his mental personal process, but he is going to learn in a different way through the primary experience. And he entertains the prospect that he could be convicted and he could lose his appeals and he could at the end of that line, potentially he's legally presumed innocent. He could end up in prison based on your long years of service with him. How will he process that? Yeah, very poorly. Um, you know, as I like to call him sometimes in my tweets, diaper Donald will be filling up that diaper because he <laughs> this is not something that Donald is capable of either understanding or contending with. He, as you stated accurately, he believes he could control every situation. This is not a situation that he has any control over. Right. And that's making him sick to his stomach. And you yeah. And I do think that that's a really interesting thing more generally with narcissists. And we've talked about this before. Narcissists believe, among other things, that they can convince anyone that they're the smartest and slickest and most clever in the room and that they can lie and nobody notices. And this is why with the Mueller probe, Trump wanted to testify or to be to sit down for questioning, uh, to be deposed. And his lawyers didn't let him because Trump thinks I'll just sit down with them. I'll be able to convince them that I'm telling the truth that they they won't know I'll be lying. That is a really common trait of narcissists. Michael Cohen knows it. It's going to be a wild 48 hours, and I'm glad you're with us for it. The weather is about to start warming up, and that often means sweating and chafing and sticking. Sheath is the men's underwear that once and for all puts an end to all of that nonsense. Our sponsor, Sheath Underwear, has designed unique boxer briefs with an ergonomic compartment built to keep everything separate and dry and cool and comfortable by allowing air to circulate everywhere it needs to be. No more readjusting all day. Sheath offers a huge variety of designs and patterns. Over half a million pairs have already been sold. Also, check out their super comfortable bamboo T-shirts. Sheath has amazing customer service, super fast shipping, along with over 20,000 five star reviews. Sheath is also actively working with multiple nonprofits that deal with mental health and homelessness, which you support when you get sheath underwear. I've had a great experience with sheath underwear. I know you will, too. Head on over to sheathunderwear.com slash Pacman and use the code Pacman for 20 percent off. That's S-H-E-A-T-H underwear.com slash Pacman code Pacman for 20 percent off. The info is in the podcast notes. It's great to be joined today by Dr. Shira Doron, who's the chief infection control officer for Tufts Medicine Health System and also the hospital epidemiologist at Tufts Medical Center in Boston. Really great having you on today. I appreciate your time. Great to be with you. So I've been reading all of these analyses and meta analyses and meta meta analyses of what might be thought of as a simple question. Do masks work to prevent covid? And it seems as though even the most well-intentioned and sort of uh, science facing people 
have had a different and sometimes changing perspectives on this question throughout the pandemic. There's also sort of a question of what do we mean by do they work? And that might mean what is the effect for an individual of their decision to wear a mask versus what is a policy of saying we require masking in these, those or other situations? What does that do on the population level infection rate? So start wherever you want on this question and and then we can kind of go from there. Where are you maybe now on this issue? Yeah, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head, right? This is not a simple question. Do masks work? Um, And, you know, where I am now is is in many ways where I started before the pandemic was even, you know, a glimmer in our eye, which is that I have quite literally trusted masks with my life. Um, I, my whole career, I have obviously worn masks in healthcare. I'm not a surgeon, so I've worn masks for my own protection, and I believe in them. I, I have taken care of patients with deadly bacterial meningitis in an ear loop surgical mask. I have taken patient, care of patients with um, H1N1 influenza before there was a vaccine for it in a surgical mask. Um, and I've taken care of patients with multi-drug resistant tuberculosis in an N95, and I have trusted it to protect me and keep me healthy and alive. And I still do to this day. Um, but when the pandemic was bearing down on us, um, SARS-CoV-2, the COVID-19 pandemic, um, I started to have to really look at all of that literature because questions started to arise that were really quite um, contentious. You know, the first question was, should we be using surgical masks or N95s to take care of these suspected COVID-19 patients? Yep. That was a really difficult one because we didn't have nearly enough N95s available in this country to take care of every person with a respiratory infection in the winter in an N95. And so we really needed to start looking at the data which suggested that it wasn't clear cut whether you needed an N95 in that situation. And the CDC was really kind of hedging on its language. WHO was being very clear that you did not need an N95. Um, And so you may have seen that there was relatively recently a clinical trial that assessed N95s versus surgical masks. They started back in those days when we really didn't know what to do and didn't have enough N95s and actually found that they couldn't detect a difference in healthcare worker infection rates between those hospitals who used N95s for all COVID care and those who used surgical masks. Um, That's not to say that the the N95s aren't more protective. Many of those healthcare workers got those infections outside of healthcare. Right. And that seems to be a lot of the difficulty where if we just say as sensible people, the tighter the barrier that we place between ourselves and a pathogen seems pretty logical that it reduces the chance of that pathogen getting through. Great. Okay, so we can start there. But then you go to all sorts of different studies and you have to contend with questions like just because you have a mandate doesn't mean everyone's doing it. Just because people are doing it part of the day doesn't mean they're doing it all of the day. Just because you are ostensibly wearing an N95 mask doesn't mean you're wearing it correctly or you don't have it pulled down or pulled up or, you know, on your sleeper. So so are those some of the difficulties in getting to what is the tr- the quote true answer? That's exactly right. And that's really why the question is, it is more than do masks work. It's 
do mask mandates work or does masking on a community level result in a lower level of infection transmission or number of infections um, than not masking on a community level? And what are you comparing it to? No masks at all, optional masking versus mandated masking. You know, all of those things are, are they're most, all of those comparisons are different comparisons. Yeah. Um, and we have data that show that those broader sort of community level interventions are, are quite a bit less effective um, than you would want them to be, given that we do believe, although we, it is really hard to show with science, that masks are protecting us when we wear them. And some of the data evidence for that was also quite early on um, in healthcare. In, you know, looking specifically at SARS-CoV-2, what we were seeing was that healthcare workers did not have higher rates of SARS-CoV-2 antibody positivity, mm. people who weren't healthcare workers, even though we were surrounded by COVID-19 patients all day long. And that was telling me that our PPE was working. There's sort of a parallel, um, it, maybe we would call it an issue here, that is separate from a mask mandate, which maybe we can also introduce, which is I've read a couple of studies which suggest that when news media is accurately informing people about the prevalence of a virus, meaning people are aware of when risk is higher versus when when risk is lower, that people choose to behave differently, not only in terms of optional mask wearing in places like grocery stores, but also in terms of how social am I going to be? Am I going to go to sporting events, et cetera? So this would be the idea that it's less about mandating one thing or another, but that if people perceive, oh, there's a new variant, like, for example, after Thanksgiving of whichever year it was when Delta first came or whichever one it was, when people perceive the risk is higher, they will modify their behavior and that this is a way that we actually do flatten the curve over a period of a couple of months. And so it's less about mandating, but more about informing and that many people will actually make the choice that is logical anyway. Is that something that needs to be considered when the effectiveness is measured? Yeah, that's exactly right. So, you know, this gets to one of the CDC studies. Um, that you know was really instrumental in the development of their recommendations during the Omicron wave to shift to the highest quality mask you can wear instead of cloth masks, um, unless that's the highest quality mask you can uh, tolerate. Yep. Um, so the recommendation was N95s are the most protective, KN95s are the second most protective surgical masks, and then cloth masks. And, and that was based on this um, paper that they put out in their MMWR report um, showing that um, people who um, used N95s, um, so, so people who tested positive versus negative for SARS-CoV-2 infection, COVID infection, um, were, uh, were more likely to be negative if they had used a higher quality mask, essentially, was the result of that study. Um, and the critique to that is uh, people who wear N95s are more likely to be COVID cautious in general right. uh, than who choose you know, because those were not that was not a randomized controlled clinical trial and the, this is the critique for any observational study um, any epidemiologic study any um, study where you compare two two geographical locations for example um, so there's a new study that shows that um, you know uh, states 
and counties with mask mandates had lower infection in the United States, but not lower death rates, for example. Some of those things are exactly what you're saying. If you don't randomize um, in a randomized controlled clinical trial and you just observe the people who choose to wear the, the higher quality masks, the people who choose to wear masks over no masks are also taking COVID more seriously and doing those other things. The states and counties that choose to issue mandates are also issuing mandates related to other things. They may have more business closures. They may have more people in them that take COVID seriously. Right. That's why the conference systematic review, old and new, and really any time they do a systematic review on anything, masks and treatments um, in, in medicine, um, will always focus on randomized controlled clinical trials because that's the only way to take all those other factors out of the calculation. If we want to, in sort of one sentence, give what might be the most comprehensive but also accurate assessment, is it fair to say that a correctly worn high quality mask does a good job of protecting the individual wearing it, but mask mandates are less effective at protecting a population for all of the different reasons that you've cited so far. Like, is that kind of where we land? That's what I believe to be true. I can't say that we have great data mm. to prove that you wearing an N95 is definitely going to protect you from COVID-19. But that's what my three plus years of experience in a hospital being bathed in COVID-19 tell me, plus the what I, you know, what I refer to as the zero prevalence data for healthcare workers, et cetera, the low rate of transmission that I see on a day-to-day -day basis, and it's my job to see that between patients and staff. So I believe that a high quality, well-fitting mask will protect me if I wear one. But I agree um, with the second part of what you said, which is that I have been unable to see convincing evidence that a mask mandate or that community masking makes any difference in the incidence of infection. Um, and the data that we have from 78 clinical trials suggest that if there is a difference there, it's very, very small. The epidemiologic data comparing county to county and state to state and country to country based on mask use suggests that if there's any difference there at all, it's very, very small. And that should really call into question the, the discussion around future mandates, in my opinion, even though, as I said, I've been trusting masks with my life. There are all sorts of claims that we've seen over the last few years about the harms of masks. Sometimes these are what people call psychological harms related to kids in schools or being able to communicate or whatever the case may be. You then have the stuff like, well, it forces you to rebreathe your own carbon dioxide and all of these different things. And they've to, to my relative satisfaction, mostly been all debunked with the exception of it does seem that for little babies exposure to an overwhelming number of people where they don't see their mouth when they are being spoken to may delay language development to some degree. And it seems to be temporary. I mean, I know I'm bringing a lot of new new things in here, but on the yeah. criticisms of the masks, what, what do we actually know at this point? Yeah, I mean, if we go back to when we first started to think about community level masking, which was in healthcare, um, so it's March of 2020. Uh, more and more of our healthcare workers are getting infected, generally at home and in the community, not through care of 
take patients with COVID because they're wearing masks with patients. Um, and we are, uh, and they're getting exposed and we're having to furlough them for two weeks. We meet you know, five minutes after we started to do that, we realized we can't run a hospital with the number of people that are home waiting to, you know, usually not contract COVID after an exposure. We start bringing them back and we have them wear those who are exposed to COVID, we have them wear masks. So, you know, very quickly, half of our healthcare workforce was wearing masks, but we didn't have a mask mandate in healthcare yet because masks had been shown in several meta-analyses not to be effective for that purpose. And that's why we had avoided doing that. But as I watched people wearing masks because of exposure, um, I saw a lot of people touching them, you know, touching them, people putting them down on the table to eat on a surface that somebody else was going to eat on. I saw a lot of things that made me really nervous about the even the having the conversation around bringing masks in as a long term strategy um, as a mandate for healthcare workers. Um, but we did it. We did it because, you know, it got to the point where everyone was exposed. Um, and we needed to protect each other. Um, and then, as you know, it became uh, standard um, and recommended by the CDC for the whole country. Um, you know, the data on its effectiveness hadn't changed. Um, the data on community masking hadn't changed between the CDC not recommending community masking and recommending community masking, but the stakes were so high. Um, people were dying and the hospitals were filling up and people were going to be dying of non-COVID reasons because they couldn't get a bed in the hospital. And it was worth it. It was worth it to try. And I, I have to admit, I didn't have the creativity to think how we could possibly implement community masking on a national level, given the supply chain issues. Um, I didn't think that people could make them at home and I, I lacked that creativity and I was wrong. Uh, we did it um, and we did it effectively. Um, but then what I started to see over time, you know, especially as the children in schools uh, were wearing masks was, um, but also here in the hospital, working every day throughout the whole pandemic was a loss of connection. Um, when you couldn't see people's expressions and people's faces, uh, you were just much less likely to, you know, have those kind of intimate conversations. Um, we were able to drop masks uh, in the hospital in areas where patients and um, uh, the, and the public uh, were restricted from entering. So mm. after everyone was vaccinated um, in the summer of 2021, we stopped wearing masks in offices and conference rooms and break rooms. And it was night and day in terms of morale, um, combating burnout um, and what we had just been through. Um, and then we had to put the masks back on because the Delta variant um, was immune evasive and people were vaccinated, people were getting affected again. Yeah. And it was hard. Um, so I think that, sure, there are there are there are definite downsides when it comes to people who are hearing impaired, not being able to tell what's going on. People who are trying to learn language, um, people, you know, with speech impairments, um, you know, and, and, you know, children who have uh, developmental uh, delays and, and, and that sort of social interaction piece. Um, but I, I, I really did see amongst my, my children and my friends' children and amongst my colleagues just a, an impact on connection, uh, mood, morale that has really improved again when we were able to take masks off uh, about a year ago. And, and last thing, the rebreathing of your own carbon dioxide does not seem to be a problem. 
No, no, no I wouldn't worry about that at all. And again, you know, we do know that our that our surgeons wear masks for 16 hour cases and you know there's 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 no issue so that would not be one of my concerns now n95s um you know osha does require that someone that that, that workers be medically cleared to wear n95 respirators mm-hmm. uh, those will cause shortness of breath it can cause you know cardiovascular issues when you wear them for prolonged periods of time and of course we've all, all seen the pictures of the you know skin breakdown that you can have if you have to wear them for prolonged periods periods of time during a period where Everybody has COVID or suspected COVID, which was the case in spring of 2020. Um, so those can, can have some health implications. All right. We've been speaking with Dr. Shira Doron from Tufts Medical Center in Boston and also chief infection control officer for Tufts Medicine Health System. Really appreciate your time and your insights today. It was such a pleasure. As many of my viewers and listeners, of course, know, I have many family members who work in the field of mental health. And I think one of the most important things that we can do is to both increase access and reduce stigma when it comes to mental health services. And that's why I am thrilled that one of our sponsors today is BetterHelp. BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy service, and it is 100% online. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 25,000 licensed and experienced therapists, an important word, therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. You answer a few questions about your needs and your preferences and BetterHelp will match you with a therapist that meets your needs. You can then talk to your therapist however you feel comfortable. Could be text, could be chat, phone, video call. You can message your therapist anytime. You can schedule live sessions when it's convenient. And if your therapist isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. With BetterHelp, you get the same professionalism and quality you expect from in-office therapy, but it's on your schedule and it's at a more affordable price. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash Pacman. That's betterhelp.com slash Pacman for 10% off your first month. The link is in the podcast notes. For years now, one of the false claims that the right has been throwing at the left in the United States is that the left wants to defund the police. Now, we've covered this so extensively. Certainly, you can go on Twitter or Reddit and find some people who say defund the police or all cops are bastards or whatever slogan uh, they come up with. But overwhelmingly, No one wants to defund the police, even those in the Democratic Party. The vast majority say we need to reform the police. I've put out a pretty extensive eight to ten point plan on how to improve policing. And this includes training and retraining of different kinds. This includes demilitarization. This includes, yes, having an unarmed force that can respond to certain types of calls. But in some cases, it actually might involve funding the police more in order to get police away from the low hanging fruit policing that actually causes the problems. Anyway, the point is, you know, as well as I do, I'm sure that defund the police exists almost nowhere and has no influence on the mainstream Democratic Party. And suddenly Republican Congressman Jim Jordan says, 
he's going to defund the police because Trump was indicted. Now he's talking, of course, of federal police, and it's become very popular for Republicans to go after federal police. Let's take a look at this clip. This is from the Maria Bartiromo program over the weekend. Take a listen. Legislation, write laws and pass legislation. So we'll look at that. Okay. And maybe most importantly, Maria, is we control the power of the purse. And that's we're going to have to look at the appropriations process and limit funds going to some of these agencies, particularly the ones who are engaged in the most egregious behavior. So the DOJ and the FBI. Yeah. And, and what I'd really like, frankly. Yeah. The DOJ and the FBI, they want to defund federal police. They say we are for law and order and against defunding the police. But all of a sudden, Donald Trump has to comply with the law and the legal orders as they love to obsess with of law enforcement and prosecutors and so on and so forth. And all of a sudden they say, get rid of the entire department, defund the FBI, defund the DOJ. These are the very same people who, while saying we support the police and you're bad for wanting to defund the police, were on the side of the rioters rather than the police when it came to the January 6th riotous insurrection. And in this particular case with Trump and we still listen, it's going to be a while until we know the full scope of what the repercussions are going to be. We don't know if Trump will be indicted in Georgia. We don't know if the Mar-a-Lago search warrant is going to lead to an indictment. This first arrest and indictment may only be the tip of the iceberg, for lack of a better term. We don't know. But all of a sudden we have someone being potentially held accountable overwhelmingly for things that are on tapes of different kinds. I mean, Trump called Georgia and said, I need 11,000 votes. Give me a break. It's we have a recording and there may be crimes there. And all of a sudden they don't want accountability. They claim to be the party of personal responsibility. And yet they want to blame everyone other than the alleged criminal himself for what is taking place. And at its core, one of the aspects of this that we have to consider is they really seemed not to believe they might lose back in 2020, when in summer of 2020, Trump started with the Biden has no crowds at his rallies and he's in the basement and whatever else, all of that stuff, when all of that was going on back in 2020 and Trump started with that, they're going to try to take it. They're going to take this. They're going to steal that. That's the other thing. They never thought they might just lose. They didn't really have a plan for what to do if they lost other than to lie and claim they won. And that devolved into so many other things that's separate from the Stormy Daniels indictment that we're dealing with today. And so their principles mean nothing. And they are the ones I mean, listen, have national Democrats called for a defunding of law enforcement the way that Jim Jordan does in this video. If they have, I certainly haven't seen any of those examples. So they are hypocrites. Hypocrisy knows no bounds. Republicans don't care about hypocrisy anymore, but we still have to deal with it on our end now that they want to do away with the very law enforcement agencies that are trying. They may not succeed but at least they're trying to hold Trump and some of his cronies accountable. Hey, let's take a break from all of the politics for a moment. Let's do something completely different. Okay. I got an email from Chris, Chris with a K by the way, which we're going to put up on the screen. And Chris said, Hey David, I know you aren't a self-help guy, but you seem to have some good habits. Can you list the easiest and simplest ways 
to improve health and well-being that you've come across. Well, listen, Chris is 100 percent right. I am not a self-help guy. I'm not going to be here to tell you about lobsters cleaning their room or whatever it is that Jordan Peterson is going to advise you. I, I will give you what I think are just some really low hanging fruit that most people can do that in my experience will put you, you know, there's this kind of 80 20 rule, right? There's people out there looking for uh, the exact supplements and what's the right number of reps to squeeze into a 14 minute workout for maximum gain. And then what about, uh, uh, you, you know, taking apple cider vinegar with lemon and and, uh, uh, you, you know, bathing in blue light or not blue light in order to sleep, right? There, you can try to get to the 99%, but very often 80, 20 is where you want to be. And there are some really simple things that will get you like 80% of the benefit of a lot of this stuff. So this is just my opinion. I'm not a self-help guy, but here's just like a few things that I would say. First of all, walk 8,000 steps a day. If you can make it 10,000, even better. Okay. You don't know how much you're walking. Most phones have a step tracker in them. I uh, use a Fitbit that goes on my wrist. If you're walking 8,000 steps a day, every day, that is already going to put you in terms of mobility and, and avoiding sort of like a sedentary situation. It's going to put you ahead of 80% of people. If I look down, if it's six o'clock or seven o'clock and I look down and I've only walked five or six thousand steps, I will just exit my house if I have to do it after dinner when the baby's sleeping and just walk for 15 minutes to get to my 8000 steps. I will do it. And I've been doing this for years. That alone is going to give you this 80 percent benefit with something that's super simple. Okay, in terms of diet. People will go and they'll say, oh, I need what's the right type of oil. Now there's this whole anti seed oil thing that's going on, but it's already been debunked. And what about what, what, what about keto and all this? All the OK, for me, the simplest shorthand to eating what is probably a pretty good diet is to focus on getting 30, 30 grams of fiber in your diet per day. How is this possible? How could that do so much? I think here's the reason why. Foods that are high in fiber, number one, tend to be less processed. Number two, they tend to be lower in saturated fat, although some of them have high good fats. If you are prioritizing 30 grams of fiber per day, you're probably eating a relatively healthy diet just because of the foods that have fiber. OK, so I know that there's a million diets and then people are finding a diet that's completely unsustainable. This, that, the other thing. Oh, you know, now I'm on blueberries. No, now I'm on acai or OK. If you focus on just trying to get 30 grams of fiber per day, you are already going to be ahead of 80 percent of the American population. Number three, drink enough water. I find sometimes at five o'clock. I am not feeling well and I'll think, oh, my goodness, is it the virus? What is happening here? And then I'll realize I went to the gym at two. I then had a meeting at a cafe where I had a coffee and no water. I haven't had water since lunch and I worked out and it's 530. I will have a glass of water and I will feel better very quickly. Drink enough water. I wake up in the morning. You know how you bring that glass of water to your nightstand and then you never drink it. The goal for me is I wake up and I have it in the morning. So drinking enough water, very, very important. Protect your sleep schedule at least five nights a week. 
Okay. And by that, I mean, if you know how much sleep you need to feel pretty good, make sure that your schedule allows you that sleeping schedule at least five nights a week. I try to go with at least six nights a week. If you need seven hours and 45 minutes, then you got to figure out how to get there. How do you eke out enough time to be in bed and able to sleep that amount of time? And then lastly, read every day. What's the deal with this reading? What, what am I talking about? I'm talking about reading physical books, fiction or nonfiction, whatever you want. I read nonfiction during the day, fiction at night. If you are reading some number of pages every single day and it's useful stuff, good fiction or useful nonfiction, you are going to be learning so much more than the average person who's reading no books, no books at all. I used to have a, a, a sort of like a minimum. I wanted to read 25 nonfiction pages a day and then some fiction at night before going to bed. I've recently upped it to 30 pages a day of nonfiction. If I'm reading 80 books a year or whatever it ends up working out to be and someone else is reading zero, that's an insane leg up, whether I'm interviewing for a job or just for personal enlightenment and knowledge or being an interesting person with things to talk about. If I'm reading 80 books and you aren't reading any, that's going to create a big, big gap in enjoyment, in knowledge and all of these different things. That's the, that's my list. And again, I'm not a self-help guy. Is there anything magical about 8000 steps? I, I, I don't know. Is there anything magical about 30 grams of fiber? I think that's what's recommended maybe for men and for women. It's a little bit less. I, I don't think any of these things are magic, but they're just the things I've found that are really useful to me. And almost anyone can do them with relatively little struggle. Let me know your thoughts. That's probably the only self-help type segment we're going to get on the show for a while. We have a voicemail number and that number is two one nine two David P. Here is a very important and powerful reaction to the arrest of Donald Trump. Take a listen to this. What about Hillary's emails? All right, thanks. Bye. I know uh, that this is tongue in cheek. In all seriousness, what a backfire. What a back. Hillary was the criminal and Biden's a criminal and Obama's a criminal and Trump is not a criminal. And yet Trump is the one who is getting arrested and indicted at least once, if not many, many more times, as we might see in the next six to eight weeks. What about Hillary's emails? That is a really great question. We have a fantastic bonus show for you today. Quietly, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has legalized permitless concealed carry in Florida. What? Yes. Secondly, we are at a 16 year high in traffic deaths. Why? We will discuss. And thirdly, Paris is banning those electric rental scooters. I actually have a lot to say about this and the whole rental scooter thing in general. So we're going to talk about all of that on today's bonus show. Get instant access by signing up at joinpacman.com. 